Well, I just heard that it's snowing, but I don't know that I believe it, so we'll see. If we can't get out of here, you know, we only, we only paid to be here till one, so I don't know what they'll do, but we'll figure that out. Uh, you got to bear with me a little bit. I'm not feeling real well. I got some kind of funky thing going on, but I read somewhere that illness is like 98.6% mental, so I just got to flip the switch. I did some push-ups before I came up here, so we are good to go. There was something going around, and I, I think I've got it. My kids gave it to me, and so... Yeah, Jimmy, I don't want to give it to Jimmy. Jimmy doesn't need it. It's going to get cold in the next few days. So, um, You know, when we were living in, we just moved to Oklahoma City a couple years ago. We were living in Austin, and I found myself engaged in a conversation with, a, with an acquaintance about death. And, and it really wasn't a conversation about death per se. It was really a qu- conversation about the idea of what would you be willing to die for. Now, I don't know if you've ever been engaged in that conversation. Maybe you have, or maybe you've thought through it, but... It's a really interesting question. You know, what would you die for? I mean, would you die for your family? Would you die for your kids? Would you die for your country? Would you die for a stranger? Or if you saw a child about to be in an accident, would you sacrifice your life for them? Would would you die for your possessions or your land or your home? I mean, what is it that you would die for? And my guess is that if, if we ask each one of us, or each one of us were to answer that question, there's probably there would probably be about as many definitions or things that we would die for as there are people in the room. I mean, some of us would die for all the above. Some of us would die for none of the above. Some of us would, would say yes my family, but no to my stuff. I mean, there's all kinds of qualifiers and ideas um, to that question. And, and we found ourselves kind of talking about it because really it's not a question about death, is it? It's a question about um, priorities. It's about what's important. I mean, you know, when you would ultimately die for something, then that thing is, is, is important. It's got some kind of high value. I mean, if you're willing to lay down your life for it, then it carries some kind of importance. And so, you know, this, this, this gentleman and I were exchanging in this conversation, and, and it was really a conversation about priorities. And as we were kind of moving on, he, uh, he kind of turned it a little bit back to the idea of religion. He said, you know, I think this is sort of the, the ultimate question for people who are religious, for those who have high moral religious standards. Because truly, you know, if you're willing to lay down your life for your ideals or your religion, he says, then that's sort of the ultimate sacrifice. And, and, you know, we kind of talked about that. And and as I went on about my day, I really started thinking about that question in terms of my own Christian life, you know. And, and, And is that really the ultimate question for us as followers of Christ? I mean, what would we be willing to die for? You know, but what I really realized as I wrestled with that question was, that, that perhaps it's the wrong question. Perhaps the question that we should be asking ourselves as followers of Christ is what are we willing to die to? A very different question than what are we willing to die for? What are we willing to die to? Because it's, it's a wholly different question. It's not made up of, of different scenarios that may or may not happen. It's not hypothetical. It is actually the call of the gospel. And if we read scripture carefully, we see that Jesus calls us to die to ourselves. It's actually the thought that he places in the minds of the disciples over and over and over again. Are you willing to die to yourself and follow me? And I was really struck with this idea because it's a totally different thought then what am I willing to die for? What am I willing to sacrifice for? When when I think about following Jesus, am I really willing to die to me? 
You know, the past few weeks as I've been reading scripture, I have come face to face with this question or this idea of dying to self over and over and over again. I think the Lord is trying to tell me something, but I keep seeing it. It's jumping out of these pages. And so I've been convicted on with this notion of, if I'm going to follow Christ, if I'm really going to put my feet in the footsteps of Jesus, if I'm going to say, Jesus, I love you and I want my life to reflect you, am I willing to die to me? to my own desires, to my own way of thinking, to my own sort of selfishness, my drive to be exalted, if you will? Am I willing to die to that to follow Christ? Well, this morning we're going to be exploring that question a little bit, and we're going to be exploring really the idea of what it, what it means to, to understand death and life and serving and following Jesus. And we're going to be in the book of John chapter 12. So if you've got your Bible, or you've got one in front of you, there's one on the chair right there. Go ahead and, and feel free to, uh, to grab it. We're going to be in the book of John chapter 12 as we kind of explore and look at, at these ideas, which I think are supremely important to us as individual followers of Christ, but also are, are supremely important to us as a church, as a group, as a body, as a community that says, Jesus, we will, we will follow you. We, we really have to come face to face with these ideas of life and death and, and serving Jesus. And so find John chapter 12, if you will. And uh, we're going to start in verse 20, um, but before we do that, let's pray. God, we thank you for um, your deep and great love for us. Lord, we thank you that we'll probably never be able to truly understand it um, or comprehend it, that it goes beyond all of our thinking and all of our understanding. Lord, we pray that as we open your word this morning, um, God, you might, you might change us. You might impact us in a way that is... And it's transforming, that we might have an encounter with your word that is um, different than maybe what we've had in the past, or that you might lift something out that would change the way that we think. Take just a moment, and as you sit here, and as you prepare to encounter God and his word, would you just ask God to move in you? Just say, God, move in me this morning. Just whisper that in your heart. take just a few seconds and pray for someone beside you, even if you don't know their name or maybe they're sitting in front of you or maybe you've never seen them before or maybe it's your husband. Just pray for them. Just say, God, I want you to move in this person's life and we want to be a community in the habit of praying for each other. Just pray that God would move in them. God, we love you deeply, and we know that an encounter with your word is an encounter with you. We pray that you would um, penetrate our hearts um, as we deal with really difficult, crazy questions this morning, um, as we attempt to be a community um, that follows Jesus. And uh, we ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen. So, you know, it's an interesting time in the life of Christ, John chapter 12. John kind of picks up, this is right towards the end of Jesus' life. He has already come into town on Palm Sunday, if you will, riding on, on a donkey. The Jewish people were expecting this political power, and Jesus comes riding in on a baby donkey, not on a stallion or a steed, but on this sort of, you know, 
humble kind of existence, he comes riding into town. And, he, and, and in that week before his betrayal and his death, Jesus talks incredibly open about what's getting ready to transpire. He's not mixing words. As he explains things to people and his disciples and the crowds, he's talking very specifically about his death and about his resurrection, about things that are going to happen. And a lot of people are there for Passover, and a lot of people have questions. And as, as Jesus was going around that week and he was teaching and talking, the crowds were gathering around him. And this is where we find Jesus. There are some Greeks in the community and they, they want to get some of Jesus' time. And so they find Philip and Andrew and they say, will you get us to Jesus? And what we're going to pick up this morning is seeing Jesus' response to these folks that want to get a piece of his time and ask him some questions. So John chapter 12, we're going to look at verse 20, and we'll go down through 26 or so, and well, wherever we feel like going through. Here we go, verse 20. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast, and they came to Philip, who was from Bethesda in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. And Philip went to Andrew, and Andrew and Philip in turn went to Jesus, and Jesus replied to them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, and I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am my servant will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now, I find this interaction really interesting because, you know, here, here are these, these Greeks that are in town for the Passover feast, which means they were probably, um, you know, people that, that were going to, I don't know if they were fully transferring their faith to the Jewish culture, but they were interested enough in it, to be there for the Passover feast and what was going on. We don't get much more of a sense than that, but they, they want to talk to this Jesus. So they find one of the disciples and they say, hey, can we talk to Jesus? And, and Philip finds Andrew and Andrew and Philip go to Jesus and they say, hey, there's some people that want a little bit of your time. And we expect Jesus to say, oh, sure, great. You know, I've got some time. Or we expect Jesus to say, I can't, I'm kind of busy. Jesus kind of doesn't say anything. In fact, he responds in a really kind of weird way. In fact, he doesn't address the concerns of Andrew and Philip at all. He doesn't address the idea that there are people that want to meet with him at all. In fact, Jesus seems to just pull something out of the air. And in a totally unrelated comment, he makes a powerful teaching moment in the life of these disciples. So they come to Jesus and they say, there's people that want to talk to you. And Jesus says, look, I want to tell you something. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And then he goes on to explain what dying to ourself and serving Jesus really looks like. And there's a really interesting progression in this text that may not jump off the page to you, but I'm going to attempt to lift it out to you because I think it is, is supremely important for, for us to understand as, as followers of Christ. I mean, Jesus is not mixing words. He's giving some specific instructions to these disciples about what life will look like over the next few days, that he's getting ready literally to die. And if they're going to follow him, it's going to take a radical readjustment of their lives. And before we unpack this equation, we really have to come face to face with the two questions that are right here in this text for us. And there's two very glaring, important questions that we can't get past, that Jesus is kind of, kind of painting and putting out there for the disciples. And the first one has to do with death. 
Are we really willing to die to ourselves? Now, Jesus uses the framework of a kernel of wheat, right? He says that unless a kernel of wheat dies, falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. I mean, this is a, a, a principle of life to death that takes place in the plant world. I mean, we all know this. Unless a plant dies and its seeds fall in the ground, it's not going to produce more plants. He uses a kernel of wheat, which on the head of a kernel of wheat, there were, you know, dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of other seeds. And when that wheat kernel fell to the ground, it produced life. You know, he also juxtaposes that idea with this idea of love and hate, right? He says the man who loves his life in this world will lose it, but the man who hates his life in this world will keep it. I mean, he's not talking about self-hatred. He's talking about the opposite of what it means to love our own self. What it means to the opposite of what it means for me, Treb Prater, to love my life in this world. That I have to be in a place where I literally am willing to hate myself in this world in comparison to what I want to do in terms of following Christ. It really is a question about life and death. And he's basically saying, look, I'm, I'm preparing to lay my life down. And you've got to be willing to lay your life down. And I find this to be a really difficult question to deal with. Because we live in a culture that, that exalts, I talked about this a little bit last week, I mean, we live in a culture that exalts self-sufficiency, self-preservation, self-reliance, you know, promoting number one, look out for yourself, take care of yourself, because nobody else will. And we find the story of that person who, who beats all the odds by putting all the faith and hope in their own ability and their own self. We find those stories to be sort of magnetic as a culture. I mean, we love stories about that person that fights through all those odds, believing only in themselves and overcomes whatever it is. And it's not surprising that often what happens in our spiritual lives is the values that we hold culturally bleed into, and I really think poison, our churches and our own lives as we follow Christ. That we, instead of bleeding and blending and, and, and empowering our spiritual lives that affect our, our worldly picture of life, it usually happens the other way around. The things that we hold dear in, in our society penetrate and poison what Scripture calls us to as followers of Jesus. And this question is, is really uncomfortable for me because <clears throat> I'm a people pleaser. I want people at least to look at me and say, man, you know, Trev is a decent guy. I mean, he, he's this or he's that. I want them to know that, that I, I, I work hard or that I, I care for them or that I'm something. I want them to see me. I mean, we're all like that on some levels. We're all like that. We want people to, to understand who we are and and like us. We want to get recognition. I mean, at work, this is what we strive for. At home, this is what we strive for. We want our spouse to know that we've done something really great for them. I mean, we, we revel in this kind of attention on ourselves. But you know, the gospel comes in radical conflict for that. You know, the gospel of Jesus Christ is a gospel that bids us to come and die that bids us to come and lay down everything that we are, all of our own desires, all of our own dreams, all of our own kind of thoughts about who I am and what I can accomplish, and absolutely lay them down and say, Jesus, it is not about me. And what Jesus is putting before these disciples, and the question that you and I have to really deal with as followers of Christ is, am I willing to absolutely forego myself to follow Christ? 
And it really translates as a question that we have to deal with as a church. I mean, are we willing to lay down our definitions of success for the church for the sake of the gospel? Are we willing to lay down all our desires for the world to look around us and say, wow, what an amazing multi-million dollar building or what unbelievable programs or can you believe they have a soccer fields and gyms and, and, and that church is really successful. There, there's 3,000 plus people coming to every worship service and they have 15 of them. That is a successful church. I mean, they have nine pastors on staff and this and this and this or, or one of the fastest growing churches in America or, or, or you know, this. And are we willing to lay down what success looks like? That success might be something totally different when we decide that we're going to follow Jesus. That defies all conventional wisdom. Where conventional wisdom about my life or about my church life says it needs to look and be like this. But the gospel actually paints a radical different picture that says, what if we were to lay everything down for the sake of Jesus? Every single thing. Our own desire for programs, like we have this sort of entitlement, we walk into churches and say, you owe me something for my children. You owe me something for this or for that, or they didn't have this. What if we walk in the doors of the body of Christ at church and we said, I'm willing to lay my entire life down for the sake of the community. You see, dying to self is a, it's an incredibly difficult question because it flies in the face of everything that we are taught and encouraged and trained to be in our culture. And I really think the idea has poisoned our own spiritual lives and it's poisoned our churches. We've taken on the world's picture of success and we've exalted it in our own hearts and in our own doors. And we've got to come face to face with that idea of am I, am I willing to die to myself? Am I, what am I really willing to die to? If I'm going to follow Christ, Am I really willing to die to myself? Which I think is an, an immensely more difficult question than am I willing to part with my resources? I mean, a lot of us think the hard question of Christianity is, is Jesus going to ask me to give away my money? That's just on the surface. I mean, what Jesus is asking us to do is give away ourselves. And if we really want to deal with that question, that one's a mess. And it, Jesus lays it out there for the disciples. The second question we have to deal with is on the surface looks a little bit easier, and that is, am I willing to serve Jesus? Now, at first, our, our response would be, sure, absolutely. I mean, yes, I am willing to serve Jesus. I mean, of course, that's why I'm here. I mean, all believers, we should have this sort of resounding, absolutely, I will serve Jesus. But you've got to be real careful with this question, because really it comes on the tail end of the first which is, if I'm willing to die to myself, am I really willing to follow Jesus? And I think the reason that most of us say, yes, we will, is because we've defined our own definition of serve. We can say that serving Jesus is coming on Sunday morning and putting money in the offering bucket. Or we can say that serving Jesus is, is preparing that meal for that person that may not have food. Or we can say that serving Jesus is during the Advent conspiracy, I kind of gave a little extra this year. Or serving Jesus means I'm on the prayer team or I show up on the setup team and I put out chairs. And that is serving Jesus. And you know what? Those are certainly truths about serving Christ. No one's going to argue that. But the reason we love that is because we get to define it for ourselves and it's not uncomfortable at all. I mean, it's really not that difficult for me to create a definition of service that fits in my own sort of niche, my own sort of social paradigms. And so we say, yes, I will serve Christ. 
But you've got to be real careful because if we look really closely at what Jesus does when he's talking to these disciples, he says this, verse 26, whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. Uh-oh, all of a sudden, serving Jesus just became a little more interesting. Now think about this for a minute. If you're going to serve me, you must follow me. And where I am, my servant will also be. Now this puts a little wrinkle in my definition of serving. Because I like to serve oftentimes from the sidelines. I like to serve behind the scenes. I like to serve just kind of in a way that's comfortable enough to make me feel like I've done something significant. But Jesus says something here that is that really just blows those ideas out of the water. He says that if you're going to serve me, you will follow me. Now, where's Jesus getting ready to go? He's getting ready to go to the cross. He says, if you're willing to serve me, you must follow me. And where I am, my servant will also be. Now, I find this really interesting because it really begs this question, where is Jesus? I mean, if, if a servant of Christ is where Jesus is, then where is Jesus? Now, this is the ultimate question, and we probably could spend four weeks unpacking a lot of these things around that question, where is Jesus? But we can, we can look at it briefly this morning in a couple of categories. Where is Jesus emotionally, kind of relationally? We find Jesus being a lover of people. Jesus spent time with the Pharisees. He spent time with the outcasts. He spent time with the woman at the well, the blind guy on the side of the road. He spent time with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Jesus invested into the lives of people. Jesus was relationally engaged with people. This is what he did. He walked literally the the, the country roads with his disciples meeting with people. All of Jesus' time was spent with people relationally. A lot of times our service that we like to participate in is disengaged relationally. I will give my clothes to the sort of unnamed faces. I will sacrifice my checkbook to a bigger cause. But you see, Jesus was a relational person. Jesus loved people. At some point in time, our idea of service has to come in direct contact with a relational God. And that if we're going to say, Jesus, I follow you and I will be where you are, then we have to stretch ourselves to become lovers of people, even though those that are really hard to love, even those that affect and radically affect our own social paradigms. So where was Jesus physically? I mean, this is the one you can kind of see coming. I mean, if we're going to go where Jesus was, where was Jesus physically? Well, Jesus, we see him spending time with the people that no one else would spend time with, right? I mean, scripture is full of Jesus putting his hand on that, that crippled man laying on his mat, that blind person, that, that unclean woman. Jesus touched them. He spent time with them. He ate dinner with prostitutes and sinners and tax collectors. Jesus spent time in the places that most people wouldn't spend time with. Jesus went right through countries that people wouldn't spend time in. Jesus walked right through Samaria when the rest of the religious world wouldn't step foot there. Jesus spent time with the religious elite. He spent time in dialogue with the Pharisees. Jesus went places that most people wouldn't go. That if we're going to serve Jesus, you know what it means? It means that we've got to be willing to go where Jesus is. Now, a lot of us don't like this, 
And a lot of us didn't sign up for this when we came into this idea of Christianity because that is for somebody else. It's for those that are called to do and live kind of radical, to go down and spend time not just feeding the homeless but learning their names, to go to another country taking care of someone's incredible poverty by feeding them or loving them in the name of Jesus. Those are for other people. Not necessarily the truth. That if we really read the words of Christ, if we're going to follow him and serve him, we have to be where he is, which means our feet have got to be in the footsteps of Christ. And we talk about this all the time. That if we're going to be a community that follows Jesus, we've got to be willing to go, to go where Jesus went. Which sort of breaks all of our social paradigms, sort of breaks all of our kind of worldly understanding and says, I'm, am I willing to be counted in that same category as Christ? So where was Jesus emotionally and physically? I mean, where was Jesus spiritually? I mean, Jesus lived a life of total and absolute obedience. I mean, his entire life was dedicated to saying, God, your glory, not mine. I mean, look at the end of these verses. We didn't read these, but look at chapter, or verse 27. Jesus says, now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. So he looks at the disciples. He says, what am I going to say now? God, save me from this. Don't send me to the cross. Don't let me kind of take on all the sin of the world. Are you crazy? This is what I came to this point in time for. God, be glorified. You see, Jesus was about the glory of God, obedience to the Father at all costs. You and I have to be coming to a place or be willing to come to a place where we say, Jesus, that following you means total radical surrender and obedience. Even when it means exactly what I don't want it to mean. Even when it costs me everything and even when it's incredibly difficult, total and absolute surrender to you is a spiritual life that says, I serve Jesus. You know, most of us love the idea of dying to ourselves or serving Jesus because we can define those terms to culturally not impact our lives. We can define death to ourselves to be a, some kind of version of humility where we don't take credit when things go our way. We can define service to Christ to be that part of us that has a few extra dollars and we give it away or is willing when Treb says we're going out of the city rescue mission to go and ladle some soup out and, and we live in those categories and we say, I follow Christ. But I'll tell you this, I truly believe that Jesus is calling us to something deeper and more radical than that. Something deeper and more radical than that. So listen to this verse in verse twenty. Six, Jesus says, my father, right, whoever serves me must follow me. Where am I? Servant will also be my father will honor the one who serves me. So look at this progression for a minute, okay? If I'm willing to die to myself, I find true life. If I find true life, I'm willing to serve Jesus. And serving Jesus means following him. And following him means being where he is. And when I'm where Jesus is, God will honor me. You see what Jesus is doing in the lives of these disciples? He's saying, die to yourself and find true life. Decide you're going to serve the king, and it will take you to the places that he went, and God will honor people that follow Jesus. But following Jesus means death to self. So all of that to really say this, okay? All of that background to really say this. 
What are you willing to die to? What are you willing to die to? Are you willing to die to yourself, to your own desires, your own thoughts, your own way of life, your own way of thinking? Are you willing to lay down everything and follow Jesus, including your financial life, including your work life, your home life, all of your own versions and ideas of success? Are you willing to lay it all down? And are you willing to serve Jesus, even when it means exactly what you don't want to hear? Are you willing to follow him into the exact places where he is? Are you willing to be there emotionally and relationally in the lives of people, physically where, where you may not really feel comfortable going, and spiritually the place where you say, God, your glory, not my own? And those questions reflect right back onto us as a community. As a church, are we willing to die to our own definitions of success? To die to all the things that someone would say, man, that church, they are really successful. Are we willing to look differently at what that means? Are we willing to look about transformation and lives that are radically invested in people? Are we willing to serve in a way that says, this is going to cost me? This is going to be uncomfortable. But I want to go where Jesus is. I want to live a life that's authentically true and radically committed to Christ. Over the next few weeks, we really are going to be exploring the book of Jonah as we take these principles to heart and say, what would it look like if we lived lives that were out of control for Jesus Christ? That we learn from the mistakes that Jonah made to come to a place that we say, God, I am in, I will totally abandon my own life for you. Because I truly believe that if you want to be a person that God honors, or if we want to be a church that God honors, we have to die to ourselves Find true life in that. Decide we're going to serve Jesus and realize that serving means following him and following him means we'll be in the exact places where he is. And that is the church. And those are the people that the Father will honor. And it will cost us dearly in the eyes of the world. But we will find life in the person of Jesus Christ, both eternal and abundant life here on earth. And we will never be the same. And we will run into an unexpected and overwhelming joy that we will not be able to define or explain to the people around us. And that's the person and the church that I want to be and be a part of. To say, God, we lay it all down for you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather.